Hey friends, Kim Honeycutt, ICU Talks Presidente and founder. And so you are a part of our podcast called Hear Voices. And our final speaker for the month of June was Cammie Howard. And Cammie and I are friends. She wants to be my friend more than I want to be her friend. You know how that is. She just adores me. You can't blame her, can you? But you're about to adore her. I love her story. I love her heart for God. absolutely love her honesty. And so take the next 20 to 25 minutes and really, really just get soaked in her humor, in her love, and in her authenticity. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing. So I'm complicated. I wanted a music stand instead of the table. So Kim's like, oh, you're so high maintenance. (laughs) Anyway, okay, this is such an awesome ministry. And even though, even though Kim Honeycutt started it, I still say that. This is a great ministry. For a few years, I've been watching videos and watching all the talks and seeing people share their stories. And it's just so cool. I am honored to be here tonight. So what I'm going to do is share part of my story tonight. I remember getting an email once from someone on staff at another church, and they were emailing me and asked me if I would come and share my story. And I was like, what story are they talking about? You know, I was like, please not that one, please not. Okay. So I, I literally said, what story are you talking about? And so the story that she mentioned is part of what I'm going to talk about tonight. But I'm also going to talk about first how I came to Christ, how I came to follow Christ, and then what has happened in my life when I've experienced the unexpected. So a little bit about me. Again, I am married. I have two children. Here's a picture of my family. I mean, come on. We need, oh, that's what you're supposed to say when the pictures come up. And then um, next is my daughter, Taylor, uh, who is 13 years old. Um, teenage girl. 13. So what we're going to do now is we're going to break up into groups, and y'all are going to pray for me, okay? 13-year-old girl. All right. So, and then next is my son, Zach, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So I've been in full-time ministry basically my entire adult life, so about 10 years. And (laughs) what? So rude, this girl. Um, So about 20 years I've been, um, I'm on staff right now at Lake Forest Church and love what I get to do. So further background is that I grew up in South Charlotte. I did not, um, wasn't raised here, but down there, way down there. My parents think it's a, like, trip you have to get on a plane to get here now. Um, I did not grow up hearing about a relationship with Christ. I grew up at a Baptist church that honestly was the kind of church that you were there to see other people and to be seen. The pastor, this is hilarious, he preached, like he would come in in this robe and he preached from this lectern thing that you had to go up spiral staircase to get to. And he preached from up there. So relatable. Anyway, so I would sit in the balcony with my friends and we'd be like passing notes and, you know, just shooting the spitballs like for reals. And that was kind of how I was growing up in church. So one of the ways that I was, I guess the way I was, kind of talking to God at that time in my life. What I would do is lay in bed, and I would say, okay, God, if you're real, turn my lights on. (laughs) They didn't come on, so I'm good. I went to bed. Another thing that I could not, I think deep down I did believe in God, but I could not understand the whole deal of him talking to all the people all the time, at the same time. I mean, it was like call waiting, so I'm like, I don't know if he's going click, 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 you know, and just keep talking to people. But so what I did is I would look out my window. This is a true story. I would look out my window, 
and I would see if the neighbors had their lights on or if they were off. If they were off, that meant that they were asleep, and then I could talk to God. My theology, right on target. Okay, so as I grew up in my teenage years, I was very outgoing on the outside. I seemed happy all the time, and I had a lot of friends. And yet deep down, I was always wondering, is this all there is? There was an emptiness that I felt, even at a young age. There was a sadness. I was a deep feeler. I still am. And the message that I often got was, you're too much. You're too much. In fact, I got that message from my family. And that's been something that I've carried on into adulthood. There was chaos all around me in my home. But if I said anything, then I was just too emotional. You're too dramatic. You take things too seriously. So that message of I'm too much was deep inside of me. One of the ways that they say I was just too much or too, you know, out there was I wouldn't get in a car with a family member who had been drinking a lot. So I'm just so dramatic that I wouldn't do that. Those were the messages that I got. So I began to try my best to fill up this hole in my heart that I was filling with boys, with alcohol, and with all the things that I thought would work, and they did not work. Pain and emptiness continued to grow in my life. There was unwanted sexual experiences that occurred when I was younger. There was dysfunction all around me. I remember feeling this darkness and this sadness that was almost debilitating at times. My 10th grade year of high school, I came home from school one day. No one was at home. I drank a lot, and I remember sitting down in the kitchen floor and thinking, this is it. There's nothing worth living for. I got a knife and started cutting my wrist. It was very dark. It was a very dark time. So as I was doing that, a friend of mine called, and I got up and answered the phone, because that's what you do then, right? Anyway, but so I did. I answered the phone, which was totally God having this person call me at the time. I put the knife down, but what continued to happen for me is the feelings of wanting to end my life did not go away. If you knew me then, again, you would be shocked that I felt this way on the inside. Well, the summer after my 10th grade year in high school, I was invited on a trip with a youth group. And I went because there would be boys. And there would be boys. And that is the only reason why I went. But while I was there, I ended up hearing the gospel in a way I had never heard. I had never heard. I had never heard that Jesus loved me, that Jesus died on the cross for me, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So on the last night of camp, when the gospel was presented, I stood up and I went back to the room to ask Christ to come in my life. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But I gave my life to Christ on July 31st, 1985, and my life has not been the same since. What I did when I got home, the first night that I got home, I went to a party and got drunk just to see if it was real. And I am not kidding. I wanted to see if this whole Christian thing that I experienced there was real here. And I knew that night and the next day that it was. So I stopped drinking then. I had no idea what was ahead of me in life. But I do think in the back of my mind that I thought once I accepted Christ, life is just going to be awesome. Life is going to be pain-free. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Well, surely doesn't full life mean pain-free life? 
I didn't grow up hearing the stories about God. I didn't grow up knowing about the Bible. I thought maps was the last book of the Bible. Anybody get that? Okay, took you a while. I was discipled by a youth leader who poured into me and taught me how to walk with Christ. I actually did go back to that church I was talking about and wanted to see if the gospel was preached there. Anyway, um, it was not. So God definitely, however, he repurposed my pain from that time in my life because I was immediately given a heart for others who did not know Christ. I couldn't understand how I was the ripe age of 15. And no one had sat me down and told me about the hope that was found in Christ. I wanted others to know about him. So I continued to go to parties. I continued to do that. But I wasn't drinking. But I did that because I didn't want to just put myself in a bubble. I knew that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I wanted to provide hope for my friends. I wanted to be there when they were out of their mind. But then they were more open and wanted to talk about Jesus. As I grew in my relationship with Christ, I realized very quickly that God does not promise us a pain-free life. I know that you know that, that you're sitting in here. As an adult, I began to deal with all the things that I had experienced in my childhood. And that has not been an easy journey. I'm sure many of you have been through the same thing, where you've started to work through things. And it is not easy, and it's not fun. We all, every one of us, we've got different stories that make up our lives where we are today, and I know what, I know that some of you in this room right now are in a very deep season of pain. Jesus said in John 16, as we were, as Jesse brought up tonight, in this world you will have trouble, it's not you might. In this world you will have trouble, but then Jesus goes on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Every one of us in this room, we're one phone call away, we're one conversation away. We're one closed door meeting away, one doorbell ring away from something that could change our lives forever. There are many things that happen in our lives that we did not expect and that we did not see coming. So many times, if you're like me, I'm gripped with fear when I hear of something that happened in someone else's life and I'm just sitting there listening to that and going, I could not fill in the blank. I could not make it if that happened to me. And so I don't want to think about it too much because I'm afraid if I do, it will happen. But then at other times, I put that out there and I think, oh, that will never happen to me. That just happens to other people. So I got married when I was 32 years old. I know, that's old. Right when I say it, I'm like, 32, dang. Okay, anyway, and I became pregnant. um, And that first pregnancy that we had resulted in a miscarriage. And I definitely did not expect that. So what do we do when the unexpected occurs in our lives? What do we do when our marriage falls apart? What do we do when we don't get the job we wanted or we get let go of the job that we have? What do we do when a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse cheats on us? When our kids don't turn out like they expected, like we expected they would or how we hoped they would? What do we do when we hear the words, you've got cancer? What do we do when we get that phone call that a friend or a loved one has passed away? What do we do when the unexpected has occurred? So we did have Taylor, our daughter, in 2005. But I'm going to fast forward to 2008. At that time, we had our beautiful, spunky, strong-willed, spirited 
daughter Taylor, who's not going to listen to this talk, and um, we found out that we were pregnant. We were pregnant, and I always laugh when people say that. We are pregnant. There ain't no we about it, okay? You know, people say that, and they're like, and he married us. I'm like, no, you didn't marry him. Anyway, it's very confusing. Um, But I had, like, just a normal pregnancy. Besides the throwing up at weird times and the certain, you know, bath and body work soap that I couldn't smell for about 10 years. After that, we found out that we were having a boy, and we were so excited about that. So normal pregnancy normal ultrasounds, and we didn't get that test that you can get later on in a pregnancy that'll let you know if there are abnormalities with your baby or if there's something wrong. Because we knew it didn't matter, and if there was something wrong, we weren't going to do anything any differently. So I was at Target, like we all do, you know, trying to spend less than 100 I'm sure I didn't. Um, and that same afternoon, I was at Target shopping that day. That afternoon, I went into labor. Once we got into the hospital, um, the hospital room where I was going to give birth, the nurse who was in there, who as a side note, y'all, she looked exactly like J-Lo. J-Lo <laughs> delivered our child. How about that? And she asked what our number one hope was. And I said, our number one hope is that we have a healthy baby boy. So she turned and she wrote that up on that little whiteboard. A couple hours later, our son, Zach, was born. They placed him in my arms, and all I could say was, he is perfect. That's all I could say. And perfect he was, perfect he is, just different than the perfect that I had in my mind. His APGAR numbers were great. What the heck are those? I have no idea to this day. But the doctors came in, his APGAR numbers are great. And I'm like, yay, don't know. Okay, but I, but... So in that time, Philip's family came in, my family came in, everybody was excited. We were celebrating the birth of my son. We're so excited. I continued to say, he is perfect. That's what I remember saying. God is so good that those were the words that were seared deep in my heart and in my soul that night. The next morning, around 10 a.m., the neonatal doctor came in. And he said that he wanted to talk to my husband and I. Well, my husband was in the bathroom, and so the doctor continued to talk to me, and my husband was um, in the bathroom for a while, (laughs) to the point it was embarrassing, okay? (laughs) I'm going to be honest. And so the doctor was just talking to me about random stuff. Well, Philip came out of the bathroom. I'll tell you about what he was actually doing. Well, anyway, so Philip came out of the bathroom, and then the words came out of the doctor's mouth to us. He said, we have reasons to believe that your son has Down syndrome. What? We have reasons to believe that your son has Down syndrome. Philip began to cry immediately. And I just stood there. And it felt like the room was just closing in on me. It felt completely dark. If you've ever gotten news that you weren't expecting that's really hard, then you probably understand what I'm talking about. I couldn't even understand what the doctor was saying. It was the Charlie Brown thing. Wah, 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 wah. He just kept talking. And as I began to hear what he was saying, he started saying, and this is why we think he has Down syndrome. On his hand, look at your hand. There's the lines on your hand that go different ways. They curve. On a child with Down syndrome, there is what's called a Palmer's crease, and it goes straight across your hand. That's one of the markers. He had little, sweet, cute ears, but I think all babies do. 
He had a flat neck. He had a flat neck. And then in between his big toe and his second toe, there was a big space. So, for us, getting that news was life-changing. It was completely life-changing to us. Then the doctor started saying things to us. He just kind of kept going. And he's like, I know that you're going to be great parents. You know what I did? I turned around and I punched him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Not. I did not do that. But I just remember thinking, are you kidding me? You don't even know me. You've known me for a millisecond. Why are you saying that? When the doctor left the room, I remember crying from places I did not know existed in myself. Come to find out that Philip knew immediately when Zach was born that he had Down syndrome. He just didn't say anything. He was in the bathroom researching Down syndrome on the computer when the doctor came in. My family, who had come in that night, they knew he had Down syndrome. Philip's family, they knew he had Down syndrome. But I believe that God used that time for the night before to the next morning to continue to sear into my heart what the words I kept saying is, he is perfect. The rest of the time in the hospital, it was seriously a blur. I remember crying a ton and being in shock. I mean, I didn't really know anyone with Down syndrome and the not knowing, my lack of knowledge in that almost made it worse. I was reading a lot about it at the time. That was not helpful. That was not helpful. It was actually completely overwhelming. I remember calling people and telling them that I had a son and he has Down syndrome. And when they would say congratulations, I was confused. But did you hear me? He has Down syndrome. I remember receiving balloons in the hospital. I could not understand that. I wondered, do they know he has Down syndrome? But they did. They knew he had Down syndrome. We cried and we grieved for the life that we thought we were going to have. The life that we thought we were going to have. I remember that when people came in and they gave us like these pamphlets and one of the guys came in, do you want to see a chaplain? I'm like, no. And so all these things that people were doing, it was not helpful. It seemed completely surreal. But after about 24 hours or so, I do remember God speaking so clearly to me in the darkness while we were still in the hospital and him saying, Cammy, this is not a surprise to me. I have made Zach to be exactly who he is. You and Philip are the perfect parents for him. Taylor is the perfect sister and he is the perfect son for you and for Philip. I will give you what you need. This is no accident. This is the journey I have you on and I will be with you. So here's what I wrote for the birth announcement two days after he was born. What a journey we have been on these last few days. The big news is that Zachary Cole Howard was born on October 14th at 9.57 p.m. He weighed 6 pounds, 14 ounces. Just a aside, do people really care about that? The weight? Okay. He's a beautiful baby boy. We received news the following day that he has Down syndrome. I was in complete and total shock. Philip knew immediately. He just didn't voice it. There are hardly words to describe what we have been feeling. God has given us this precious baby boy. 
we are now on a very different path than we would have expected. Many of you have already reached out to us, cried with us, prayed with us, been joyful with us, been sad with us, and for all of that, we are grateful. I ask that you would continue to do those things over the next days, months, and years. We need you now more than ever. We realize that probably someday we will look back on these early days of shock and grief and sadness and say, what were we thinking? Now we would not have it any other way. But we are where we are, and the good news is that already today is better than yesterday. So thank God with us for baby Zach. He will change our lives, but then again, so has Taylor, who, by the way, is a very proud big sister. We love you all. So I want to stop here and highlight something that was in that announcement that now 10 years later I can speak to. When I said many of you have already reached out to us, cried with us, prayed with us, been joyful with us, been sad with us, and for all that, we are so grateful. But here it comes. I ask that you would continue to do those things over the next days, months, and years. We need you now more than ever. Down syndrome does not go away. Down syndrome does not go away. So I still need people to talk to about it. Ten years later, there has been grief along the journey. I remember talking to a friend of mine who had lost her son. And one of the things that we shared with one another about what our fear is, is that it would be forgotten. That her son would be forgotten. That my situation, though it was not going away, would be forgotten. So I think this, um, for all of us who are in situations where someone's experienced tragedy or loss, continue to be there for them, for their family. If it's a death, then mark that on your calendar. And when a year goes by, send them a note. Periodically ask them how they're doing. We want you to ask. We want you to care. So we went home from the hospital. There's a picture of Taylor with Zach when we got home from the hospital. She doesn't wear that anymore. Um, I remember Philip and I getting down on our knees in front of our couch when we got home that night. We were crying out to God. We were speaking out loud the things that we thought we would never have to say. We were raw and we were real. I remember the verse, Psalm 62, 8, which says, Trust in him at all times, people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I had thought before that time that I had poured out my heart to God at some time in my life. It was nothing like that night. I knew that verse. I had thought I experienced it, but you know how God's word is? When you read something, and then you read it again, then you read it another time, and that's when it fits, and that's because God's word is living and active. This was not what our family picture was supposed to look like. Were we strong enough to raise a child with special needs? No, we weren't, we aren't, but God in us is. I do remember another moment that God revealed himself to me in the form of a scripture. And this was a turning point. I was sitting on the couch. I had my feet up on the coffee table. I had Zach on my knees. And I remember looking at him. 
and saying, he is just a baby, just like everyone else. When I began to look ahead and I began to ask the questions, will he ever talk? Will he go to school? Will we ever go on vacation anymore? I honestly thought life as we knew it was over. But here's what God said when I was sitting there with my precious boy. And again, another verse that I knew, but I didn't know. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's Matthew 6, 34. So what has this journey been like for us the last 10 years? It's been easy. It has been so easy. And I'm lying. It's been hard at times, and we've grieved along the way in some of the different stages. But I do want to say it has been richer in ways that I never would have dreamed of in those first days. But I love that in that birth announcement that it said, one day we'll look back on this and wonder why we were so sad. And that's what's happened. If we could take away that extra chromosome, we wouldn't today. When my daughter Taylor was five, she was beginning to hear Down syndrome, Down syndrome. She didn't know what that was, so we explained it to her um, in the car one day. She was in the back seat, and we said, you know, Zach has an extra chromosome. We were explaining what that meant. And he said, she said, oh, so he has an extra special ingredient. And I said, that's it. That's it. So Zach now, he's nonverbal. He is having a really, really hard time walking. He has been diagnosed with, with what's called avascular necrosis, which means there's not enough blood that's getting to his bones and to his hips, which is causing the bones to deteriorate. So we've been to Duke, I think, four times in the last few months. And one was last week, one time was last week. And we're just continuing to take one step at a time. God has, and he continues to meet us in these places, to meet us in our pain. So I want to close tonight with just a couple things that God has shown me as he has repurposed my pain. Number one, my pain does not define me. Your pain does not define you. What I shared with what happened to me before I met Christ, what's happened since, it's all part of my story, but it is not the story. I'm a child of God. I am deeply loved by God. And I have a child with Down syndrome. Don't let your pain define who you are. Number two, God will not waste my pain. God will not waste your pain. If you're open with your story, he wants to use it to bring hope to other people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He has used my past of trying to fill my life with things that did not work, the times when I had no hope, and he's used that to give me compassion for other people in ways that I never would have had before. And then number three, he is with me every single step of this journey. He is with you every single step of your journey. He has been, and he always will be. That sounds so simple, but that is something continually in my life from age 15 to 49 that I still have to grasp every day and remember he is with me so again my pain does not define me God will never waste my pain and he is with me every single step of the journey